I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this is Storymakers Story Show. And today on Storymakers, we're taking it scene one too far. What? <laughs> <laughs> so this is the sort of first scene we're going to dig into. Right. So if you were with us last week, we kind of introduced some of our ideas about what every scene should have, because that's really what every writer wants, a prescription <laughs> for exactly how to do something. Well, and what's kind of fun about this series, such as it is... Well, now this is the second episode on this so topic. It's so definitely it's definitely a series. So, yeah. So we are going to kind of hold our ideas up to some real scenes. Yes. And use the ideas to understand the scenes, but also use the scenes to develop the ideas mm. further. Um, and we um, we should say that we've already kind of gotten to grapple because we... I know. I'm coming up with a new word that's called seamery. <laughs> and it's those long, those chunks of summary that end with a line of dialogue that put you in the moment. So seamery is what right. we're going to discuss on one of our other... And, and, and people who do it really well, I mean, there's a lot of vivid imagery that mm -hmm. comes into making something kind of stay vivid and in the world. Yes. Even as it's summary. But so we, we kind of... For example, I had picked a scene from Sonny's Blues by James Baldwin, definitely a, a story to read. And Angie said, well, that's not really a scene. That's more a summary. And the scene is these four pages that come after. And I said, well, we can't really talk about four pages on a half-hour podcast that, and read them. So we're going to look through and see if there's a shorter scene from Sonny's Blues. But then today we're going to turn to Elizabeth Strout's Anything is Possible. And we're going to look at the first story um, in the collection called The Sign. We're going to talk about that. But first, what are you working on? Well, I've worked on finishing video two about how to vote. So, or actually, I guess it's video one on how to vote, but it's my second. So the first video said vote. Yeah. And the second video said here's how. Well, this one's more like how to register. How to register. Because it turns out it's very complicated depending on where you live. Yeah, crazy. Mm -hmm. Crazy. Well, I got notes. They were enthusiastic. I made a pass. Woo! Sent it back. So, you know, balls out of my court, which is not my favorite place. But um, I'm looking forward to going back into the fun, expansive development of the next project. Yes. So, plus I'm going to clean my office, you know, which I, I always sort of tell my students, don't clean your office during your writing time or whatever. But I think I'm going to give myself a day or two to do that. I think my next big project is going to be a shower. <laughs> These are exciting times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So our basic structure for this scene series is going to be like this. We're going to discuss the scene. Well, no. See, I'm already getting it wrong. We're going to read the scene to you. And then we are going to look at these sort of three-ish elements, um, which is the shape of the scene, including the character's desire and the obstacles, mm -hmm. the purpose and accomplishments of the scene, including the new information it delivers, the way it moves the story forward, and finally, the vivid action and detail that make up the scene. Yeah, it makes it present. Yeah. So, um, so we're going to read the scene, then we're going to discuss those, and then we're going to encourage you to write a scene. Mm -hmm. And the sort of what we're going to suggest is that you not worry about incorporating really any of the discussion into the scene you write in any kind of formal way. This isn't a multiple choice test. It's not an English let, literature exam. Let something that becomes 
clearer to you through our conversation drive your own creativity rather than getting it right. Exactly. Something might get sparked and it might be nothing to do with what we're actually talking about. It might be a line from the scene or the scene of our tussling over the scene or anything else. It might just be the piece of paper in front of you or the screen that inspires you. But I suggest you listen to this and then because you'll be deeply connected to your reader self who is so smart about writing, just go to the page and write for 10 minutes, set a timer or 15 or 20 or 30, whatever works for you. I'm going to go to just set a timer for like five minutes. That's okay too. Okay. All right. So Angie, um, this is a scene from the sign. It's the, it's the absolute end of the short piece. Yeah. So it's kind of a spoiler. Um, do we want to set up the thing in the beginning? I think maybe we do. We do. Okay. So this is a story about a guy named Tommy, an older gentleman named Tommy. And um, he, and it starts off with actually a lot of summary, but vivid, wonderful summary um, about how he'd once owned a dairy farm and it had burned down. And in the moment of its burning, he had this kind of um, in the midst of his galloping fear just to quote a line, um, he understood that all that mattered in this world were his wife and his children, and he thought that people lived their whole lives not knowing this as sharply and constantly as he did. And he has this kind of feeling of the presence of God, this rushing sound, and um, and then it was as though God, who had no face but was God, pressed up against him and conveyed to him without words, so briefly, so fleetingly, some message that Tommy understood to be it's all right, Tommy. And then Tommy had understood that it was all right. It was beyond his understanding, but it was all right. So he has this kind of vision um, of being visited by God, and he never tells anybody. Um, it says, you know, um, privately, he thought of this fire as a sign from God to keep this gift tightly to him, privately, because he did not want to be thought of as a man who made up excuses for a tragedy, and he did not want anyone, not even his dearly beloved wife, to think he would do this. And so he sort of knows that this is going to be a secret um, that he would keep to himself until his dying day, the sign from God. But in the course of the story, he ends up telling it to Pete Barton, who if you know any of Elizabeth Strout's work, you might know uh, My Name is Lucy Barton, and she's a character, she's the narrator of My Name is Lucy Barton, and then these stories all go back to her family and life and stuff. So anyway, he tells Pete Barton what happened to him, this thing. And so, and he's never even told his wife who's almost 82. So this is the last scene in this story. Driving home, Tommy was aware of a sensation like that of a tire becoming flat as though he'd been filled all his life with some sustaining air and it was gone now. He felt increasingly as he drove a sense of fear He could not understand it. He had told what he had vowed to himself never to tell, that God had come to him the night of the fire. Why had he told? Because he wanted to give something to that poor boy who had been smashing the sign of his mother so ferociously. Why did it matter that he had told the boy? Tommy wasn't sure, but Tommy felt he had pulled the plug on himself that by telling the thing he would never tell, he had diminished himself past forgiveness. It frightened him. So you believe that, Peter Burton had said? He felt no longer himself. He said quietly, God, what have I done? And he meant that he was really asking God. And then he said, where are you, God? But the car remained the same, warm, 
still slightly smelling from the presence of Pete Barton, just rumbling over the road. He drove more quickly than he usually did, going past him were fields of soybeans and corn, and the brown fields as well, and he saw them only barely. At home, Shirley was sitting on the front steps. Her glasses twinkled in the sunlight, and she waved to him as she drove up the small driveway. Shirley, he called as he got out of the car. Shirley! She pulled herself up from the steps by holding on the railing and came to him with a worry on her face. Shirley, he said, I have to tell you about something. At the small kitchen table in their small kitchen, they sat. A tall water glass held peony buds, and Shirley pushed it it to the side. Tommy told her then what had happened that morning at the Barton home, and she kept shaking her head, pushing her glasses up her nose with the back of her hand. Oh, Tommy, she said. Oh, that poor boy. But here's the thing, Shirley. It's more than that. There's something else I need to tell you. And so Tommy looked at his wife, her blue eyes behind her glasses, a faded blue these days, but with the tiny, shiny parts from her cataract surgery, and he told her then, with the same detail he had told Pete Barton, how he he had felt God come to him the night of the fire. But now I think I must have imagined it, Tommy said. It couldn't have happened. I made it up. He opened both of his hands, both of his hands upward, shook his head. His wife watched him for a moment. He saw her watching him, saw her eyes get a little bigger, and then begin to break into a tenderness around their corners. She leaned forward, took his hand, and said, But Tommy, why couldn't it have happened? Why couldn't it have been just what you thought it was that night? And then Tommy understood that what he had kept from her their whole lives was in fact easily acceptable to her. And what he would keep from her now, his doubt, his sudden belief that God had never come to him, was a new secret, replacing the first. He took his hands from hers. You might be right, he said, a paltry thing he added, but it was true. He said, I love you, Shirley. And then he looked at the ceiling. He could not look at her for a moment or two. Okay, so that is Elizabeth Strout. And um, so a a scene has a shape, a beginning, a middle and an end because it is driven by a character who wants something, has a goal of some kind and obstacles that thwart that goal. So what do we think um, is the, what does this character want? The character's Tommy. I, so here's the thing. I would have said that the scene started when he arrives at home. Yeah. I even said we could start there. Yeah. I don't know why I read that other part. So... <laughs> Um, although, you know, so it's interesting. So let's talk about that other part for a minute because that's sort of a transitional scene where mm-hmm. he's he's done this one thing. He's left Pete and now he's grappling with the outcome of his done. choices. Yeah. Right. He's grappling. God, what have I done? Right. And it is a scene. I mean, he says, what have I done? And mm-hmm. he says it out loud and nothing changes. God does not visit his truck. Well, what this is actually is he, he in the previous goal, he goal. Right. And he even reflects on this. His previous goal is to share something with Pete, Pete Barton, Barton in an effort to make him feel better. Right. And now he's done that and it's taken something from him. And it, so when we talk about the fact that the outcome is not what your reader expects, right? Mm-hmm. So he's thinking, oh, he probably didn't go into that scene. I can't remember the rest no, of it at the beginning, but he probably didn't go into the scene with a plan to tell him. No, I can't remember. Definitely not. No. So, you know, so he unexpectedly does this other thing and then he ends up 
with an outcome he doesn't expect from the next thing, right? So he, I think, went there because he wanted to help initially, right? right? We well, saw so, him beating at the sign. Right, and so he goes knows in, a lot about their family. Yeah. But this is a great example of how one scene's goals and complications drives the next one. Yeah. Right, so, so he gets in the car, and we and we have that, and he's grappling with what have I done, and 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 he calls to God, and it doesn't produce the result, mm-hmm. and um, and he recalls Pete Burton saying, "So you believe that, right?" So there's he's definitely like there's that sort of the doubt he no longer felt himself. So that's that part that we're even saying, okay, that's it's almost its own mm-hmm. scene, really. But. So what do you think his goal is coming in coming home? All right. So, I mean, right away at the end of the first paragraph of that part. So at home, Shirley was sitting on the front steps. Shirley, he said, as he called as he got out of the car, Shirley, she pulled himself up, herself up. Shirley, he said, I have to tell you about something. Mm -hmm. So I think that that he's decided that, you know, because he's kept it from her all their lives since it happened, um, and she's the most important person to him, that having told it to to somebody, he has to tell it to her. Okay. You know, it's like a balance thing. And also, I think he's trying to, he doesn't feel himself. So I think mm. he wants to feel himself again. And I think he's hoping maybe that writing that balance will. Okay. Help. You know okay. what I mean? That, 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 right? That like, um, but that's my feeling. Is it do you have something different? Well, no, I think he, he does want to come home and, and tell her. Yeah. I think his goal actually is to. feel better right he's he's in the car and so the first thing he does in the car is like kind of reflect on what he's done he's feeling depleted right he's like a flat tire and then he calls to god without irony right he's actually asking god and god doesn't respond right right? so his first thing is like i feel crappy and then i'm gonna go to the thing that maybe had always been there and now it's not working so now i'm gonna take the next step which is i have to write and yeah. And so I just want to say like, this is also what you would call a sequence, right? So you can see that he's got this thing coming out of his interaction with Pete Barton where he's got a goal and his first attempt it is not adequate. Adequate. And I want to say as we're describing this, it's very something I it's very familiar to me and very human feeling. Like I and I will often have a feeling and I won't even know quite why, like what just happened that upset me. Sometimes I have to trace back to like what mm-hmm. just threw me off. But also then wanting to do something to fix it. Like sometimes right. it's so uncomfortable to feel a, a negative way or feel like not himself, right? This it's 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 so uncomfortable and it's like so Well, he's been he's deflating. Like yeah. what, what a great metaphor, right? Yeah. Like he's like becoming a flat tire. This thing that kept him <sighs> full is now gone. And yeah. so I'm I really think that's an awesome metaphor. And so he does the thing where he tries to talk to God. It doesn't work. So, right. so that's sort of almost, that's one scene. The next scene he's going to try to, if, if not And then God, he's going to try to talk to his wife. <laughs> and that gives us the shape of the scene because then what happens? So she, first he tells her about Pete Barton and, and she's very sympathetic. And then he's like, here's the thing, Shirley, it's more than that, right? So he tells her with the same detail he told Pete Barton. So again, I think this all goes to his goal, which is mm-hmm. to sort of make this up. Um, how he'd felt, but now I think I must have imagined it, Tommy said. It couldn't have happened. I made it up, mm. which is, I mean, that's based on what that's coming, right? That's a build from the last mm-hmm. scene from Pete Barton saying to him, like, you believed it or whatever, right? So right. he's, so, um, so he, so that's, so he, he tells her and he build, there's a build toward telling her 
And then he, and then there's a turn where he says, I, I made it up. Mm-hmm. And then she says, why couldn't it have happened the way you thought it did? She totally believes it, right? So what do you think he would have gotten if she had responded like Pete did? Well, I think... Because do you think he's asked... Because, like, yeah. where we end up going, we... Almost, I almost think he's expecting to have to defend it and that in defending it, he will regain it mm-hmm. or something. I'm not sure. I mean, it could totally undo him, right? If she also didn't believe it, but it's such a surprise to him in a funny way, but like surprising yet inevitable because it's not like, uh, it's not like having Roberts vote for gay rights and abortion. <laughs> It's a little more like of her character, uh-huh. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's surprising to him. So, what do you think? What do you think he was he was thinking would happen, or hoping, or needing? I think he was actually looking for her rejection. Yeah, that in hiding something from her, and I think that's where we end up. It's not that you know God is there. It's it's that peace that you hide that is your own right because now he's given up the the experience of hiding god talk to me to i don't believe that god talked to me mm-hmm. so now he's hiding that again but i don't even i didn't feel it was redemptive to have a new secret necessarily i felt it felt like it was again very maybe human and kind of almost the surprise of like slipping into realizing that she could have easily accepted this thing that seemed that he, that in a way he couldn't easily accept or he had accepted, but only emotionally. Well, right. But I think that he, I think what he discovers is that, well, I mean, it's so crazy. These last lines, right? You might be right. He said a paltry thing he added, but it was true. He said, I love you. Right. So a paltry thing. But it's funny because that is all caught up, like in the moment when he sees God, kind of what he realizes or what he's known maybe even before then is that his wife and children are the most important thing to him and that he holds it to him like more with more awareness and, you know, constancy or whatever than, Mm. than other people. So, I mean, that's kind of that's also the thing that's like there no matter where he comes down on the belief of this. Right. And in a way, I think that that kind of certainty and that love sort of holds but now it's a God paltry thing. thing. It went from being the word of God mm. to a paltry thing. Mm. And I think that you know that's so sad. <laughs> All right. But let's look okay. at the shape so, of our scene. So at the beginning of the scene he has a goal and his goal is and here's where subtext comes in. He's not saying I want my wife to do this thing. Right. So we are able as readers to kind of co-create. But there is a clear sense that he is reaching for his wife. He's His goal is to connect with her. We get yeah. that. That is unambiguous. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying and to, to like make things right and again to, within, right. within himself. Right. So that's his goal. Then he gets what he wants, but the complication is it doesn't satisfy his need. Right. And in fact, he sort of also has to realize that he's misunderstood her and the secret and the whole thing kind of all along in a way. Right. Right. Um, and so then, um, okay, so that's, and the obstacles to the goal. So the obstacles are that he's, that what he thought he wanted isn't what he needed or what Mm. he thought he needed isn't what he got. Right. Um, and 
And so in a funny way, her, her understanding is sort of an obstacle. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. So a scene must have a reason to be there in the first place, a story purpose. And this might be, I don't know how, so you. We, I mean, this is a little bit exaggerated because it's the last scene in a story. So right. one of the things we had said was that the scene dramatically delivers new information. Yeah. And so here, we, as we watch these two play out, we learn some important new information. Yeah, and he really does, too. And he did in the scene before. Yeah, yeah. So he keeps learning and growing, yeah. learning and growing. Um, and so we see, we see him acting differently than he mm. has before. And it's interesting because we talked about repeat beats, right? Right. So he tells Pete... And then he tells her, but it's not a repeat beat because he's telling her in response to having told Pete and in response to Pete's disbelieving reaction. Right. Right. So he's going now having been changed to talk to her. Um, and then we've moved forward in the story. And in fact, we've moved to the end of the story. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but this is definitely, I mean, it's, you can see it that he, that this is a story that gets set up about a man who has had this brush with God and has kept it to himself his whole life. Mm -hmm. And by the end, he's told two people and his whole understanding of kind of his wife and the secret has changed. He swapped out the secret for another secret. So we've definitely moved forward, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Anything else you want to say about the story purpose, the new information, the forward movement, the character arc? Um. No, I mean, I think that it is, this is the cumulative action of everything that's sort of come before, so. Yeah. And finally, um, while, while dialogue isn't required, you say, scene mm -hmm. does require an acute focus on significant detail and action. They're, these are clues, the clues that your reader can't get from summary. Mm -hmm. So what were some of the, the um, acutely focused on significant detail that you really loved here or felt drawn to? Well, you know, um, just all of her actions, like the fact that she pulls, I mean, we get their age, we get sort of kind of what's going on. She pulls herself up by the rail and greets him with worry on her face, right? Um, in the kitchen, their small kitchen table in their small kitchen, right? So where he's spent the day outside, like we meet him in his truck, he's out in the big world. And suddenly, all of these things are now so much more constrained mm -hmm. and i think that really underscores sort of the change that's and she, happening and she like she a tall water glass held peony buds and surely pushed it to the side right like mm. they're having a meeting kind of right right, right. i also love the stuff about her eyes oh, so absolutely. tommy looked at his wife her blue eyes behind her glasses a faded blue these days but with the tiny shiny parts from her cataract surgery right <laughs> like so and so great. here here is the thing here it, it, does she see him better than she he sees her mm. right and mm -hmm. um his wife watched him for a moment he saw her watching him saw her eyes get a little bit bigger than they then begin to break into a tenderness around their corners yeah so it's all about sort of sight and i mean and then and so we know, like, he's watching her and we're getting this through his point of view. But as far as those significant details, we get so much information about him, about this family, about what's going on. Could easily have done things like, uh, like when he looks at the ceiling. We don't get a lot of detail right there about what's happening in the ceiling. Is the paint peeling? Is the whatever? It doesn't matter. 
But what does matter are the eyes. What does matter is the way she comes yeah, to and him. And then he, then he looked at the ceiling. He could not look at her for a moment or two. And it's just, you know, you feel the emotion in that moment. Right. And there's this undercutting of sort of drama, like the most dramatic thing has happened in a way, right? I mean, he's seen God, confessed to seeing God, become a doubt, you know, become filled with doubt about it. And if it's it's not like he'll never look at his wife again or that, you know, and he does still love her, but he's understanding But his plan everything. is to continue lying to her. Yeah. Well, he had a new secret. Yeah. Replacing the first. Mm-hmm. It's funny, though, because he said it. He said, but now I think I must have imagined it. Mm-hmm. It couldn't have happened. I made it up. And then she says, um, you know, why couldn't it have been? He says, you might have, you might be right. So it's even though, you know, so he's, he feels he's holding it in and that he's going to carry it around. But I mean, he's actually, he's not sort of said, yes, I believe either. You know, he's, he's not. No, no, yeah. no. But um, anyway, so be a fabulous writer. The other thing I think is so interesting about Elizabeth Strout, because she's, Well, I mean, look at that sentence. Hold on. And then Tommy understood that what he had kept from her their whole lives was, in fact, easily acceptable to her. And what he would keep from her now, his doubt, a sudden belief that God had never come to him, was a new secret replacing the first. So he's never going to tell her that. Yeah. Right? And that's maybe going to refill his tire. (laughs) It's it's interesting, the subtle differences in our reading of this. But she's a wonderful writer. And, and even just that part that you just read, you know, she's willing to go very explicit. Mm-hmm. And what happens, I think, is that, you know, sort of hand in hand with this beautiful exacting detail that brings us into the scene is this willingness to to say what the characters are grappling with mm-hmm. in to put it into words, which is, you know, part of the art of what we're doing here. So steal this. Take what inspires you. And go write about it.